Morning, everyone. Hey, it's great to see you. I looked for jokes for Easter, but there were no good jokes for Easter. So I'm sorry, I have no joke for you today. But uh, that, you know, that makes sense because um, Easter's a pretty celebratory thing without any laughter, without, without any jokes, I mean. So this is going to be a good day. What I want to do today is to start off just reading to you the Easter story from the Gospel of John. We're going to read through that, make some observations about it, but we're eventually going to get to communion, and uh, that, that's going to be one of the highlights of our day today. So, you know the story. Uh, if you were listening to That's My King, you heard a lot of the story. Jesus came into this world, uh, God's son. Uh, you know, re- really, the whole story is a fantastic story because it has a hero that comes from a privileged background, and yet he lives a life of humility, and he cares about the downtrodden and, and the broken, and he heals them and feeds them and blesses them and loves them. And he, uh, he, he welcomes everyone to come and be part of what he's doing if they just walk in faith and trust him. But Jesus also, this, uh, this great, this great uh, hero in the story, totally angers the religious leaders of the day because he resists the power brokers. He uses the power he has to bless others, and he comes against those that use their power to oppress others. Those were the religious leaders of the day, and they, they literally hated Jesus because every time they tried to best him, every time they tried to put him in a corner, and most of the time this was public, he totally confounded them, and, and he won every argument that they had. And so it humiliated these men who thought they were so righteous and who thought they were the ones that knew God best. Uh, they hated Jesus for it and ultimately had him killed. You know, uh, for them to do that, they had to lie about him. So they lied about him as a heretic. They said he had committed heresy. And in order to persuade the Roman governor, they lied about him politically. They said that he had claimed he was a king in opposition to Caesar being king of Rome. But Jesus, Jesus came to, that, to the cross. He died on the cross. And at the end of that day, he was left in this stone tomb, cold and dead. And if you had been one of his followers, at that point, you would have been pretty disappointed because you thought he was, he was the king that was going to come in power. You thought he was the king that was going to defeat the Romans, and now he's dead. And I, I can imagine as they're interacting over that, what they're thinking and, and, and how they could have possibly tried to deal with that. But I have no doubt that someone who was practically minded in the group would have said, okay, he's gone, it's over, deal with it. It's, he's dead, that's it. But what happens on the Sunday after that Friday is the most amazing thing that's ever happened in all, all, uh, since the beginning of creation, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what you need to know is resurrection is different than someone just coming back from the dead. Like Lazarus came back from the dead. He was a friend of Jesus. He died. Jesus came, called to the tomb. Lazarus come forth, and Lazarus comes stumbling out of the tomb, still wrapped up in his grave clothes. That was a resuscitation. He came back, but he came back in his, in his, in his uh, body that still would get sick and still would die one day. When Jesus was resurrected, he came back in a different kind of body. 
The Bible tells us he came back in a heaven-type body. He came back in a human body that had been transformed into something that was fit for not life here on this earth, in this fallen earth, but a body that was fit for life in heaven. And the amazing thing is that the Bible tells us that that's the kind of body you and I are going to get when Jesus returns. That when he returns, we are going to receive the same type of resurrection body that Jesus came out of the grave with. And that's, that's the most fantastic news you can ever hear, okay? How many of you have knee pain or back pain or can't sleep at night? And in spite of us praying and using the authority of the kingdom the best we can, the, the, the aches and the pains continue. But there's going to be a day when that's, that's all going to be done away with. There's going to be a day when healing is going to be perfect. And that's going to be on the day that Jesus returns. Because when he died on the cross, he crushed the head of Satan. He defeated the kingdom of darkness. And when he rose from the dead, he demonstrated that victory to all the powers of darkness and to all, of, all generations of humanity until the end of time. And what he did by that resurrection, he came back with kingdom authority that he now could give to us. You see, at the beginning, God put us here and gave us authority over the earth. And we messed that up. We, we took the authority we had over this earth and we gave it away to God's enemy, Satan. He brought death and destruction into the world. Jesus came and he defeated that kingdom of darkness by dying on the cross. He rose from the dead and he comes to believers now and he says to us, here is the authority of the kingdom. I'm giving it back to you. Now you take this authority and make this earth what God wants it to be. But the problem is we don't use it perfectly. We, we, we're growing in that. We pray for the sick. We call upon the power of God. We realize that God's power is in us. We release that power, but it doesn't come out perfectly. And yet when Jesus returns, he's going to take the very same power that he's given to us and he's going to exercise it perfectly. And we're all going to have resurrection bodies just like he came out of the grave with. Let's read this story. It's in John chapter 20, and uh, Mary Magdalene and some other women have come to the tomb, and they came there just to do some simple, um, some simple Jewish burial rituals for the body of Jesus, and they find the tomb empty. And here's what we read. She goes back and she tells the uh, apostles that it's empty. And Peter and John just take off at a, dead, at a dead heat. They're running as fast as they can to get to the grave. And we read this. So Peter and the other disciple, uh, John wrote this, and he was always reluctant to refer to himself as John. So he just calls himself the other disciple or the guy who was standing there. And so he says, Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple, John, who was younger, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. Peter was brash and bold and didn't think before he acted. He just busts right into the tomb. And he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. This is John. He saw and believed. There are two different types of seeing here. 
Peter saw with his eyes. John saw with insight. Two different, two different words that are used in the original language. John saw and perceived what it meant, and he believed. And it says, parenthetically, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. But apparently John was getting an idea that Jesus had risen. Then in verse 10, it says, Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? Now, these angels may have been there before, but Peter and John didn't see them. Now, Mary, Mary sees them now, and they asked her, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where, the, where they put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Now, she's exited the tomb now, and she sees Jesus, but uh, doesn't, doesn't recognize him. And um, at, at this, she turned around. She didn't recognize him. Woman, he said, Jesus asks her now, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? As if he didn't know. <laughs> Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. He said her name in a way that only he could say it. He said her name in a way that he said her name, and she recognized it. And in, 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 the, in, the, in the intimacy of friendship that they had. So she turns around and she cries out, Rabboni. And in the other gospels, we read that she falls at his feet and, and grabs his feet. And then Jesus says this to her. Jesus said, do not hold on to me. For I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Now, why did Jesus have to return to the Father? Because what happens is he returns to the Father. Then he comes back and spends 40, more, 40 days with them. But he returned to the Father to complete the whole process of sacrifice. And in the Old Testament, on the Day of Atonement, every year the high priest would go into this one special place that was called the Holy of Holies. It was a place no one else was allowed to go into. Only the high priest, only once a year, and he had to go in with blood. And so the high priest would go in with blood, and because of the shed blood, and God says in his word that the reason blood was necessary was life is in blood. He says the life is in the blood. And therefore, in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant... There was the blood of an animal for the soul of a human being. And now Jesus is taking his own blood and he's going into the better tabernacle, the better temple, right into the presence of God the Father and presenting his blood as an offering for the sins of humanity. That old covenant, when the priest went in, it didn't bring about forgiveness. It didn't release anybody from the power of sin. He had to come back year after year after year. All it did was it pushed the penalty, the payment for sin ahead another year, ahead another year. It would be as if you have purchased a home and you don't have the money to pay the, the mortgage one month and you go into the bank and the bank says, well, okay, you can pay it next month. 
Next month, you don't have the money, you go in, and they say, well, you can pay it the next month. And that just keeps happening. But it happened year after year after year after year. And the sin just kept piling up more and more until Jesus finally came. And when he died on the cross, he took all that sin on himself, and he died and paid it all. And he paid not only for the sins that had been committed up to that time, but for all that would ever be committed by all of humanity for all time. Because he was God's son. And as God's son, his life was equal in value because he was an infinite being to all the lives of all humanity. So he could give his life one time and pay the penalty for sin for all time. And so Jesus has to go to the Father to make this presentation. And, but then he says this to Mary, go back and tell the apostles that I go to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. And in the Gospel of John, John uses the term Father in reference to God over 90 times. Most of those times, Jesus was, was the one speaking. But he never spoke of God as Father, as our Father, your Father and my Father. It was his, he was his Father. But here, and, and John does this for, uh, for effect, for a purpose, that now, finally, at the end of, at the end of Jesus' ministry and life, after he's resurrected from the dead, he is telling them, he's your father too. He's my father and he's your father. He's my God and he is your God. You see, something happened at the cross and something happened through the resurrection of Christ that brings us into an intimate father-child relationship with God. And that's some of the best news we can ever have because knowing God as father is something totally different than knowing him as creator or knowing him as the one who expresses uh, the, the expression of perfect morality in life. Knowing him as father is to know his goodness. It is to know his love. It's to be intimate with him. And that's what every human heart's longing for is intimacy with God. Wherever we come from, whatever we do, Ultimately, the root problems in our lives are all born out of the fact that we have a longing for intimacy with God that hasn't yet been satisfied. And when, when, we, when we come to know Jesus, Jesus comes into our lives, he changes our hearts, God becomes father to us, and we embark upon this lifelong journey of knowing him better and better as our father, becoming more and more intimate with him uh, as, as our Father. I mean, think of, think of our own lives and, and think of just in, in the human terms what your relationship with your Father has meant to you or what a lack of relationship with your Father has meant to you or, or what, what part of the relationship that was so good that it still stands with you today and what part of the relationship was so uh, empty and, and, and bad that it still impacts you today. See, relationship with God the Father is the relationship that brings healing to all of those things. And, and it's not like I'm not limited in my view of God by my view of my own father. What, what I need to do is to, a lot of people will say that. They'll say, well, you can't really see who God is because your father was so imperfect. Well, all of our fathers are imperfect. Even the very best human father falls so far short of who God is, that if I'm going to limit, if I'm going to say that, then that means I'm going to limit my perception of God to the very best of human fatherhood. And all human fathers are imperfect. And 
Our Heavenly Father is perfect. So what we want to do is flip that. And we want to say, no, it is my relationship with God, my Heavenly Father, that informs my life about all other relationships. And my relationship with Him eclipses the pain in my heart because of mistakes my dad made or because my dad wasn't there, or, or because I was hurt by this other person, this friend. Knowing God as my father eclipses all of the pain and the hurt and, and the, the trauma that we've experienced in our lives. And growing spiritually is very largely wrapped up in this whole concept of knowing God as father better and better and better. And that happens sometimes in, in big chunks um, any of you ever play the game Mother May I as a kid? Okay, if you if you never played it, it was this ludicrous, this stupid game <laughs> that we played when I was a kid. Because one person would be called Mother, and then everybody would line up, and you would say, Mother, may I take three baby steps? And Mother would either say yes, or say no, or say take three baby steps backwards. And Someone else might say, Mother, may I take two giant steps? And it's just totally arbitrary. There's no game to it. (laughs) But there were times that that you took baby steps and you got to move forward with baby steps. And other times that you would get to take a giant step ahead. And in our growth, in our relationship with God as our Father... We take all these baby steps and then there are moments where we get to take a giant step ahead, where we get to experience his love, where our eyes are opened and the Holy, the Holy Spirit is the one who opens our eyes to see who God is. He's the one who opens our understanding, the eyes of our hearts, the eyes of our understanding so that we can grasp more than just the words of the whole thing. But we can see him and in, in, re, in reality, we see him. And we experience him in our lives. And when we begin to do that, there's just this, this healing that takes place in our hearts. And the Holy Spirit brings healing, so I see him more fully, which means I want him more. And I draw closer to him, and I gain more healing. And there's more healing that comes. And I see him more, and I hunger for him more even, because I see how great he is. And then there's more healing that comes. And then as, as I'm experiencing that healing, that I'm viewing everybody in life differently. Because I'm, I'm becoming more like Jesus. And I'm seeing people the same way Jesus sees them. And so this whole idea that I'm going to my father and your father. I'm going to my God and your God. That's incredibly significant. And, and it's really uh, the whole effect of the cross and of the resurrection. Now, what we're going to do today is to uh, share in communion together. And as we do... Communion represents the victory of Christ. It represents the victory of Jesus over the kingdom of darkness, over death, over the destruction of the enemy. And when we do this, the bread and the cup, they each have symbolic significance that we need to understand. And I don't know if there's anything we could do in worship that would be more connected to the Easter event of the resurrection. Because if it wasn't for the resurrection, we'd never do communion. If it wasn't for the resurrection, there wouldn't be any, any reason to say, take this, this bread, it's my body, and eat it. Or take this cup, it represents the new covenant in my blood, and drink it. But it's the resurrection of Jesus that makes this all alive and powerful 
and it is, it invests in our hearts as we step out in faith, the power of the Holy Spirit is released within us. And so we're going to read these uh, verses on communion. I'm going to talk about that a little and uh, just, to, just to help us understand a little better. And then we're going to move into a time of worship and in uh, a, a time of sharing in communion. We're going to read from 2 Corinthians, chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is the Apostle Paul, and <clears throat> he's uh, pointing back to what Jesus did the night before he was crucified, okay? So let's listen to this. He said, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, it's important to recognize that when we do communion, most traditions have both elements, the bread, which represents Jesus' body, which was given for us on the cross, and the blood, the the juice, the wine, which represents Jesus' blood, which was shed for us for the forgiveness of sins. And we put the two together, and we take it as like you're supposed to take the bread, eat it, and then wash it down with the cup. Or, or we often do it with a method where, is how we normally do communion here, you take, you take the little wafer and you dip it in the juice and then you eat it. But in the actual event that happened on the night of the Last Supper, the night before Jesus died, what happened was at the beginning of the meal, Jesus passed the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And, and, and they passed that cup and they drank. Then halfway through the meal, and this meal must have taken an hour or two hours, I don't know how long, but, but there's a gap of time, and in the middle of the meal somewhere, he takes the bread and he broke it, and he said, eat this, this is my body given for you. And then after the meal, he passed the cup a second time, and said, this cup, this is, is the new covenant in my blood. And so the fact that these were separated they weren't, it wasn't, here's the bread, all right, here's the cup. That they didn't happen immediately, one right after the other. While, while the two elements both have representative value for the death and sacrifice of Christ, they also have a distinct, a distinct value and a distinct identity in this communion event. And so today, the way we're going to receive communion is to come to the front to receive the bread, and then there will be time, because you're going to have to go back to the back to receive the, the cup. And the first Sunday of January, I, I gave a whole sermon on the bread. And the, 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 the intent of that, what we came to in that was that as we, as we participate in this event, this communion event, that that bread which Jesus said, this is my body, represents healing. Because Jesus healed, most of the time when Jesus healed, he healed through physical touch. He touched, he touched eyes, he, touched, he, put, he spit on his fingers and, and put wet fingers in people's ears. 
and healed them that way. You know, I, I don't think he did that as a joke. I think it just was, you know, he just did it that way. I don't know why. But, um, but, but he would put hand, he would touch a leper. People didn't want to touch lepers. But he would, he would put his hand on them and there would be a release of power flow through him into them and bring healing. In fact, there was a time when a woman realized and she said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, if I just touch his cloak as he goes by, I'm going to be healed. And she reached out and touched and she was healed. Power flowed from Jesus through his coat, through his cloak, into that woman's hand, into her body and healed her. Isn't that amazing? It's incredible. But um, there were other times when it says the whole crowds were, crowds were doing that. Now, when that woman touched him, the apostles said, what do you mean who touched you? Look at all the people that are all bumping into you. But, you know, none of those people were doing this in faith. None of those people were touching Jesus thinking, if I just touch him, God's going to heal me. Power's going to flow through him into me, and I'm going to be healed. Only that one woman believed that. And that's why she was healed and all the others weren't. But in these other cases, everybody probably heard about this woman. And they're all just, they're just reaching out to touch Jesus. And, and if they can just touch him lightly as he goes by, power's flowing out. And Jesus knew the power flowed out. He felt it when it happened. And, and so when we touch the bread, Jesus said, this is my body. And, and so we're, we're looking at this as a touch point of faith with Jesus. It's as if I'm in the crowd and I'm reaching out. And as he's walking by, I just, just get this slight touch of his shoulder. Uh, or, or just his cloak as he goes by. Or maybe his hand. And, and in that, power of God flows. Now, his cloak did not, was not vested with divine power. Okay, it's not like, well, if we could just get that. It is a touch point of faith. It is a sanctioned touch point of faith. You know, you and I can make up all sorts of things. We could say, well, let's all just say this. Let's, if you run around the building three times, then God's going to heal you. And that's our touch point of faith. But this, is a, this Jesus said this. People didn't make this up. Jesus said this. And so he said, this bread is my body, take it. And in 1 Corinthians, as that passage goes on that I read, the Apostle Paul says, many of you are sick and some have even died because you did not discern the body correctly. And what he meant by that was, you didn't receive the healing you could have received because you didn't understand what the bread in communion actually meant. If, if you had understood that this was a touch point of faith... A lot of you would have been healed, but you weren't healed because you didn't understand it or you just didn't take it seriously. And so as we come to this today, I want to encourage you to come recognizing Jesus said to do this. Jesus gave us this Jesus-sanctioned touch point of faith with him. And whatever physical ailment you're coming with today, I encourage you to come just with faith that says, I can be healed today. Just like the power of Jesus flowed through that cloak, this is, this is sanctioned by Jesus. And the power of God can flow when I, when, I, when I take this and I touch it, trusting in Jesus. And so the, uh, the communion elements, the bread will be here. The, the uh, drink will be in the back. We don't use real wine, uh, but we do use grape juice. And um, Jesus said, this is the new covenant in my blood. 
which means there was an old covenant, which I already alluded to earlier. And the old covenant was the blood of a, the blood of an animal for the soul of a human being. And, and for the, for the, for the, the penalty of sin to be lifted off them, not done away with, but lifted off. And that was the old covenant. It wasn't sufficient. They had to do, they had to make sacrifices over and over and over and over again. Jesus came and the Bible tells us he made one sacrifice once for all, for all time. It paid for sin and it paid for sin for all time. It not only pushed it ahead, it didn't push it ahead, it consumed it, it destroyed it. It destroyed the power of sin and the death that comes through sin. Now you might say, well, why was God so mean that he told Adam and Eve, if you eat that fruit, you're going to die. If you eat that fruit, I'm going to kill you. That's not what, a lot of people, a lot of times we read it that way. If you eat that fruit, then I'm going to be so mad at you, I'm going to kill you. You're going to die. But that's not what, what it was at all. Here's the thing. God himself is life. He is life. He is light. He's the only source of life. And when Adam and Eve turned away, turned, disobeyed God, turned, they, they obeyed Satan is what they did. They trusted Satan more than they trusted God. What they did was they turned away from life and light. And all that's left is death. All that's left is darkness. It wasn't like this horrible judgment of God. It was just God's telling them the facts, the truth. Stay with me. I am life. I am light. And and why did he give them the opportunity to disobey in the first place? Why did he even give one tree that they weren't supposed to eat from? Well, because he wanted a real love relationship with them. And love is given freely. And if he hadn't given them the opportunity to, to turn away from him, then that would not have been a freely given love relationship he would have had with Adam and Eve. And so God still, he still wanted to make a way. Even though we brought death and darkness into the world, he still wanted to make a way, so he gave this old covenant. And the old covenant was just in place until Jesus came. And Jesus brings this new covenant, which totally pays for sin and obliterates it for all time. So that the power and the grip of sin, the, the habits that we don't like, the thought patterns that we think we're trapped in, the things that have, have been happening in our family lines for generations and we think was just inevitable, that's going to happen in my line. I've known people who've, who've said, I know I'm going to get divorced because my parents were divorced and their parents were divorced. And so it, it's inevitable. It's going to happen to me too. That's a lie from the enemy. That's a lie from Satan. There's nothing like that that is not broken through the blood of Christ and the work of Christ on the cross. He totally obliterated the kingdom of darkness. And as we come to this today, the blood of Jesus, the the blood of the animal for the soul of the human, that's what it says. And so today we look at this, the blood of Jesus for, for for my cleansing, for my inner being. But... If I know Jesus already, I've already been cleansed. And it's not like we have to take communion to get some additional cleansing. I don't want to imply that. But this is a celebration of the cleansing. Okay? It is a celebration of the cleansing. And it is a touch point of faith with that which brought about our salvation. It's a touch point of faith with that which made me forgiven and gave me a new heart and a new life and gave me freedom. It's the blood of Christ that breaks all curses. 
over any, any, all of humanity. And so as we come to the cup, come with this, with this faith that whatever inner soul struggles I have, whatever struggles I'm having in my mind or in my heart, there is freedom from those. And Jesus, I'd, I'd like to take, Mother May, I'd like to take a giant step ahead today. Okay? Yeah, I want to take a big step ahead today. So we come with that faith, and there's going to be freedom released to uh, just so many of us today as we do that. But um, right now, what we're going to do is invite the worship team out. We have, uh, we're going to receive our offering. So if you don't mind, if you would reach over to the left of the aisle there and uh, pass that basket down the aisle. And then the ushers are going to pick those up. Now, I tell you, uh, so many of our people, probably a third of the people that give here, give through our app. And so if the person beside you didn't put anything in the basket, don't judge them. All right? They might be given thousands of dollars on the app and you don't know it. So the way this is going to happen, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray over the elements, just bless this time that we have together. There will be three stations up front here. There will be a station over here on this side. There will be a station right here in the middle. And there will be a station over on this side. Now, what I would like you to do is to come down the side aisles, the two outside aisles. Okay, so the people in this, this, this wedge section... If you don't mind going around and coming down the side aisle. And then that will leave these two uh, center aisles here, these two aisles, for people to go back to get the cup. And what, um, okay, for the center one, what we're going to ask you to do is to come down the center aisle, okay? So if all of you would just file out, come down the center aisle, then you can disperse and go down the two side, go back up the two side aisles also. Does that make sense? Okay, good. I know we won't do it perfectly. That's okay. <laughs> so the servers are going to make their way up here. And um, after, after communion has been served, then you're welcome to come to the front to worship. And uh, we're, we have a great worship set here. Just a wonderful time of celebration for the rest of this service. So, uh, Father God, thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you that we can call you our Father. Thank you that we can say that we can each say you are my father. If you know Jesus, say this with me to God. Just say you are my father, okay? If you know Jesus, I'm going to count to three. <laughs> One, two, three. You are my father. We thank you for that. Bless this bread, Lord Jesus. Uh, whatever that means, bless the cup, and, and we come in faith receive from you to honor you, Jesus, as we remember you. In Jesus' name, amen.